I don't know how to do questions in Russian. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about Andre Chikatilo, part two. Part two. We're using the same books for research, right, Katie? Yeah, the books for this one were Comrade Chikatilo by Michael Krivich and Olga Ogin, and The Red Ripper by Peter Conradi. Comrade. You have to say comrade. That's not his name, though. No, for the book. Comrade Chikatilo. Oh, oh, oh. And this is in Russia, right? Yes, the okay. USSR. And the great words of what was his name from the Beatles? Back to the USS, back to the USS. Back to the USS. Back to the USS. Are you implying that he... Back to the USS. Went down are. in an airplane on his way there? No, his I think it was Paul McCartney. Or Wings. One of oh. those like dumb Beatles knockoff bands. What? The Beatles were terrible. Anyway, Katie, we're going back to the USSR. Why don't you go ahead and start us off on this one? When we left off last week, Chikatilo had just murdered his first victim, nine-year-old Lena Zatkanova. After being interviewed by the police five times, Chikatilo also watched as his neighbor, Alexander Kravchenko, was arrested and found guilty of the murder. Weary of the police and how close he came to being caught, Chikatilo decided he would not kill again for a long time. Instead, he fulfilled his pedophilic desires by walking into local schools and loitering by the bathrooms, sometimes going in and spying on the children. By this point, he was working as a supply clerk, which allowed him to travel very often. He would constantly be surrounded by new children he'd never seen before, usually hanging around in train stations where he could just sit and watch them for hours. So with that, when he, when he was at the train stations, what do you think was going through his head when he saw these children? Like, was this something like he looked at them as a way to fulfill a sexual desire, or did he just like being around kids constantly because it helped him achieve some sort of man feeling? I don't know. It just man made... feeling? Either both of those things are sexual desire. Okay. So I don't think he was hanging around because he enjoyed the company of children. He did appreciate, though, the fact that they had the same size wee-wee as him. So in those two and a half years when he was approaching children, was he just practicing at his trade? Or what was was he just learning what worked? Was he honing his skill, I guess? Or was it just something he did? Man, you're the only one to look this far into this, Roar. Well, it's just a question. Just kidding. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what his... His point was, yeah. yeah, I mean, he just liked to look at children and think about them and touch them when possible. Okay. Because so they he, were easy victims. So he's just like a piece of shit. There's not really, like, yes. he was probably being a piece of shit that whole time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what his thought process was, but more than likely it was something to do with it aroused him. After two and a half years, Chikatilo couldn't resist the urge to kill any longer. When he walked out of a local library in Rostov, he saw a 17-year-old girl standing at a bus station. Luring her with the promise of vodka, she willingly followed him to the nearby Don River. There, Chikatilo attempted to rape her, but was unable to achieve an erection. In his frustration, he shoved mud into her mouth before strangling and beating her to death. This murder was one of the very few Chikatilo did not use a knife, most likely because he just didn't have one on him that day. He did leave behind the first traces of what would become his signature, left behind on his future victims. 
Using a stick, Chikatilo disemboweled the girl after her death, and one of her nipples was torn off with his teeth. He used old newspapers and leaves to cover her body before leaving the scene. Not very good at hiding bodies, is he? I just don't think he cared. I think once he got off, that was like it. He was done. Yeah, it shows a little bit of like a indifference at that point. He's like, oh, I got mine. All right. Basically. So, does this constitute the beginning of his ramp period or is this just f- still fledgling where he's trying to flush out what he likes? I think he knew what he liked after the first one. I don't think he had like a specific ramp period. He more murdered based on how likely he was to get caught murdering. Okay. At this point, he wasn't too specific, right? Everybody has nipples. Nine months later, on June 12th, 1982, Chikatilo met a 12-year-old child who was running errands for her mother in the city of Donsky. Donskoy? Chikatilo came prepared with a knife this time, stabbing the girl to death after leading her into a covered area. With this murder, two more of Chikatilo's signatures were discovered. When he stabbed his victims to death, he would plunge the knife into the body before bringing it back up, but not completely removing it before stabbing again. It's thought that this motion resembled sexual intercourse to Chikatilo. He would also either repeatedly stab the eye sockets or remove the eyes completely. This is thought to do with a local folktale that claims the last thing someone sees before they die is forever burned into their eyes. Chikatilo removed the eyes so police would not see his face when they discovered his victims. So he did this with how many victims do we know? Pretty much all of them. Pretty Even his them. first victim, Lena, he, I think he tied like a scarf around her eyes before he dropped her in the river. So he's just kind of crazy about eyes, huh? He just, he literally thought it might get him caught, so he was being cautious, I guess. How would they even check that? Because, no, they like literally thought that the picture of whatever you saw before you died was burned into your eyes. Like, if someone looked at you, they would see Chikatilo's face in your eyeball. So if they, like, hollowed you out like a jack-o'-lantern and stuck a candle in there, it would just be like a projector? I guess. I think you could actually set up a human skull to be a projector if you were handy enough with your craftsmanship. Anyway, it's a really weird thing to do. Definitely. Did your book not mention that? No, it did. But I'm just trying to add a little flavor here. After the murder of his third victim, Chikatilo stopped making any attempt at resisting his murderous urges. Between July and September of 1982, he killed five victims, both male and female, ranging between 9 and 18 years old. By this point, his M.O. was fully formed and his confidence extremely high. He would approach his victims at bus or train stations, usually making conversation to gain their trust before luring them to a secluded area, usually the woods. There, he would stab them to death, ejaculating as they died. He would then mutilate their bodies with either the knife or his teeth before covering them with leaves in a poor attempt to hide the body. His last murder of 1982 was of a 10-year-old girl on December 11th. So how many was that in 1982? How many murders? Four? Three? Eight? Eight? What makes somebody just start killing so rapidly? That's that's like almost a murder a month. He had sexual urges and this was the only way to fulfill them. And I guess when it doesn't, you know, most people don't like to murder, most serial killers don't murder that often because disposing of the body, putting it in bags, taking it out on your boat, dumping it in the sea, it's a big old ordeal, right? This guy, he just covers it up with some leaves. Well, the time is right. Like, basically, he grew up in a serial killer playground where kids were hungry and starving and coming to the cities looking for work or money or food or anything. 
the police presence was more focused on other things because certain instances didn't exist in communism. They were not communist ideals, so they were ignored. Blame was pointed elsewhere to the quote-unquote less dead members of society, the handicapped, the prostitutes, the uh, homosexuals, things like that. So, like, this time period is pretty much, like, perfect for what type of killer and how he does it. It's, like, perfect. Yeah, majority of his victims, the older ones were prostitutes, and usually the children were um, intellectually disabled. So... Yeah. He knew who to take advantage who to take advantage of. In January of 1983, police had determined that four of the murders that had taken place were definitely committed by the same person. A task force was created and an intense investigation began. The first thing they assumed was that their killer was mentally ill. They started interviewing every single person that was registered in a psychiatric ward. At this point, they did have some solid evidence. They knew their killer's blood type. A.B. because of the semen left on the bodies of the victims. Luckily for the task force, A.B. is one of the rarest blood types, likely occurring in only around 5-7% to of Soviet citizens during this time, an educated guess I made based on blood typing in Russia and Ukraine now. Things were going slowly until September 1983, when a man was arrested at a streetcar depot where he, quote, had no business being, according to my book, whatever that means. Uh, sir, you do not have access to streetcar or depot. What? You think he was just trying to steal? They thought he was trying to steal some. He was homeless? No, he lived in a boarding school. It just said he had no business being there. So I don't know. I literally have no idea what that could mean. I feel like it has something to do with some profiling. One way or the other. Yeah, almost guaranteed. They're like, this guy doesn't belong here. Well, what belongs at the train station? After being interrogated for a bit, the man did admit he had stolen a car recently. A short while later, he confessed him and his friends also murdered children. That escalated really quickly. At this point, the task force was desperate for some kind of lead, as five additional victims had been murdered between June and September. They had broadened their suspect list, assuming now that it was either a mentally ill individual, a group that was harvesting organs to sell on the black market, or a satanic cult. It was a satanic cult for sure. They also began checking the alibis of people who had been arrested for homosexuality or pedophilia. Why, th- why did they throw the homosexuals in there with the pedophilia? Because it was illegal to be homosexual. Yeah, it was outside of the norm. Oh, I keep forgetting. This is, this this is, is the 80s, Russia. Yeah, 80s Russia. You could not be gay. Four days after his arrest, the man confessed to seven murders, one more than they had even connected to their serial killer. The suspect attended a boarding school for the mentally ill, so his acquaintances that also attended the school were arrested. Each of them confessed to murders, but not exactly the murders. They all gave different stories, different descriptions of the victims, and would confess one day, then retract their statement the next. The task force was under immense pressure from both their bosses and even the head of the Communist Party to quell the population with an arrest. They decided that even with their wildly different confessions, the men must be the perpetrators, and they couldn't keep their story straight because they were all intellectually disabled. So because they were all intellectually disabled, they decided that it didn't matter that nothing they were saying was lining up and that one day they were like acted normal and the next day they were confessing to a bunch of murders? It used to be thought, it's only pretty recently that we figured out that false confessions happened, but it used to be thought that 
if you confess to something that you did it because there would be no other reason for you to confess. Yeah, and the uh, Russia likes to point fingers at mentally disabled because inside their system, it only works that someone would kill someone if they were mentally deficient. Oh. So it fits inside their narrative real easy that these are the people that would do this sort of thing. Uh, okay, that makes it sort of makes sense when in reality it literally is like the opposite of anything that makes sense. Like, oh yeah, they all are just yeah. It's just a weird bias. Gang murdering, like in a big old pack of them running down the road, gang murdering. But if you think about it, would you, looking at yourself right now, say that you would ever confess to a murder that you didn't commit? Absolutely not. I wouldn't even confess the murders I did commit. If you don't confess, confessions are dumb. Nobody ever thinks that they would confess to something that they didn't do. But I might under... confess if I was trying to give Rory a good 12 or 16 hour head start. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. I probably wouldn't confess. I would definitely turn you in. <laughs> no, I wouldn't commit. I wouldn't confess. Never. Even, maybe if they were waterboarding me. Yeah, so you say never, but a lot of people that say never do end up confessing under maybe, certain circumstances. Yeah, maybe if they weren't, probably not if they were pulling my toenails out or something like that. I probably could handle that. I mean, that. you don't even have to be physically tortured. If they psychologically torture you, you will more than likely confess. Dude. Three men had committed suicide after being arrested for homosexuality and brutally interrogated about the murders. Then, to make matters even worse, another body was discovered on January 10th. The task force now knew that they did not have the right suspects in custody. Despite everything seemingly going wrong, police did solve over a thousand unrelated crimes with their heavy-handed tactics. Quote-unquote solved. I'm guessing some of those are more just closed. On February 22nd, another body of a young girl was found in the same area as the January 9th victim. Four days later, police caught a man attempting to rape a woman in the same park. He was quickly arrested and quickly confessed to the murders of both girls. Once again, despite a suspect who'd confessed, the murders continued. Why does everyone keep confessing? Like, all these people are just, like, off the bat. He was also intellectually disabled. Oh. And Russia probably isn't, like, the paragon of interrogation techniques, I wouldn't think. No, do you remember Alexander from the first episode where they literally put someone in his cell to beat the shit out of him until he confessed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not nice. When they want you to say something, you'll say it. Yeah, and at this point, they are trying to close the books on this. They have tried like seven or eight times now to just shut the case down by saying this is what happened. So they're using stiff arm, hard-handed, straight knee tactics. Yeah, can you imagine if he had gotten up to Moscow and started like his whole, just had a spree up there after 89 or 90 or 89, I guess. And they're still just chasing all the mentally deficient people around? Like, yeah, and they're still... They're killing. The murders go silent down there, so like, oh, he moved on. No, He's gone. Continue on, Katie, because I know you I think a problem, though. In total, they investigated over 500,000 people. Yeah. Like, they were not fucking around. They wanted this guy, and they just what kept did, overlooking him. Like, one in five in the entire population had been I looked into. I think they interviewed a fourth of the whole population yeah, in Russia. Yeah, that's crazy. Once again, despite a suspect who'd confessed, the murders continued. A 10-year-old boy in March, a young girl in May, who'd been seen with her murderer being led into a nearby park, and witnesses gave the description of the man. In late May, a woman and her child were killed. By the end of July, there had been four additional murders. 
So this is still not considered a ramp period. Oh, he's full-blown serial he's just, killing now. He's just lost in it it's at like this he point. skipped the ramp period, it seems. I mean, yeah, because you don't have to. Just because we say, like, serial killers do this in a specific way doesn't mean that they all do that. Yeah, so he just went full-on berserker mode. As then. soon as he f- murdered the first time and he ejaculated in what he thought was, like, a normal way, that was all he needed. He doesn't need a ramp period. He just needs to be not about to get caught. And still able to have an erection while he's murdering someone. How does he know when it's time? Does he just get a boner and he knows that it's time to go out and murder? He sees someone that's vulnerable and that he can get into the woods so he can stab them to death. It doesn't have to be any specific time. So he just is pretty much regularly on the hunt and it just happens to be every couple of months. Basically a month and a half almost it seems. Yeah, I would say he's an extreme predator. Like... He, he watches, he looks around, he understands his surroundings. So And you have to keep in mind, too, at this point, he's had a wife and children. So he had to tend to them and seem normal while still going out and doing this. And it's not like his victims were the only ones that he spoke to, basically. He would go to the train station and he would talk to tons of kids and women. And if they didn't want to talk to him and they didn't want to follow him into the forest, he just wouldn't kill them. It was the ones that would go into the forest with him that he would kill. Despite the murders continuing, police kept the five men who had confessed to the murders in jail. It wasn't until Issa Kostoyev took over the task force that they were released and all charges dropped. Kostoyev decided to go another route with the investigation. He contacted the Rostov Dermatology and Venereal Diseases Clinic, asking for a list of every man that had come in for STD treatment or complaining of sexual dysfunction. Kostoyev made this call based on the fact that one of the recent victims was discovered to have pubic lice, which were either given to her by the murderer or given to the murderer by her. Unfortunately, after killing the victim, Chikatilo had stopped at a local pharmacy where he was prescribed the ointment needed for the pubic lice, so he never needed to go to the venereal diseases clinic. So he just knew he had pubic lice? I mean, you know when you have pubic lice. Oh, I've never had pubic lice. Or at least you know that... You're insanely itchy and you need to go talk to somebody that can give you something. By this point in the investigation, Chikatilo had been fired from his job as a supply clerk after being accused of stealing linoleum in a car battery. This left him with lots of times on his hands, which he of course used to commit more murders. He killed 11 more victims before the end of September. Jesus Christ! That's a lot of murders. In what, two months? August and September? 11? The task force was growing desperate for leads by this point, and began looking for ways they could narrow their search. For the first time in the USSR's history, psychiatrists were consulted on a case. After sending out everything they knew to the top psychiatrist in the country, only one agreed to provide them with a profile, Alexander Bukhanovsky. He said that based on what he had seen, the killer they were looking for was likely impotent and taking out his frustration on his victims. Very accurate. Okay, Katie, so here's my question. When you're going to be doing this in the future, you all right? Did you just have a stroke? No, my head just hurts really bad. Um, when, when you're I'm doing, when are you? is this like the type of thing that you're going to be doing in your future career? Like analyzing someone's kill patterns and creating a full-blown dossier on this person or a psychological evaluation of what they're doing? What, no, because this is, so it was really popular in the 80s, but profiling is not 
legitimate at all. Oh, it is absolute junk lame. science. Broke my heart. It's really cool. And I mean, it worked for Douglas and Wrestler for a while, but it's not. So psychological profiling in this instance. So how did the so what did the psychiatrist come up with that? I mean, you can tell most of the time, especially when you're given this much evidence, kind of what they're doing. But it's not like he could like to a T say this is a forty year old man who lives in blah blah blah. Like, and when you take stuff like this to court, they will literally like laugh you out of the courtroom. Profiling is not a legitimate science. So when cops say stuff like on cop shows, like Law and Order, when they're like, he fits the profile to a T. No, so it's like I said earlier, just because serial killers follow a certain pattern does not mean that they always follow that exact pattern. Also, Law and Order, we had a really long discussion about this a couple weeks ago about how it's not real. So just because it happens on Law and Order doesn't mean it happens in real life, especially today when we're much more advanced in what we know about. There's still profiling that does go on. You can use it to catch your suspect, but when you take it to court and you try to say, well, I just knew this, yeah, that's that really means weird. nothing to them. So you can't just arrest someone anymore on the fact that the FBI said that this is probably the person that you're looking for. With renewed hope, the task force decided to start patrolling local bus and train stations where they knew victims were being picked up. It was here Chikatilo was spotted for the first time. He caught an officer's eye because he was wandering aimlessly through the train station, obviously not waiting for a train or going to any specific destination. That sounds like not belonging. Exactly, yeah. The officer also watched as he sought out young girls and attempted to make conversation with them, but was turned down each time. Eventually, the officer approached and asked Chikatilo for his paperwork. Everything was in order, so he had no choice but to let him go. And he slips through the slippery fingers of the USSR detectives again. What? What? I wonder what paperwork they're carrying around. It's like an ID Their passport. card. passport. Yeah. Yeah, they basically had to have something to prove that they, who they were, and then he had paperwork proving that he was in the Communist Party, and so that's kind of why they were like, oh, okay, okay. comrade, go on your way. Two weeks later, on September 13th, the officer and his partner spotted Chikatilo once again, walking aimlessly through the train station. They followed him as he boarded the train, then got off and got in a trolley. They followed him for two hours as he got off and on of different modes of transportation around the city, stopping occasionally to speak to any young girls he spotted. At one point, they watched as Chikatilo approached a young girl in a bus station and was turned down. They approached the girl when he was not looking and told her that if he speaks to her again to do whatever he asks and they will be right behind her to arrest him, which note is horrible, sketchy police work. Why would you do that to somebody? No kidding. A child. You're our bait. Yeah, exactly. Surprisingly, the girl agreed, but Chikatilo never approached her again. Dang. A that was their chance. Yeah. She agreed. After falling asleep for a few hours, Chikatilo awoke around 2 a.m. and was approached by a woman who was either on drugs or had too much to drink. She sat down and laid her head on his knee, not fighting as Chikatilo groped her. After a while, she got up and both went to their respective bathrooms. When Chikatilo came out, the officers were waiting for him. He was stopped and asked for his documents, and one officer said that he'd never seen so much sweat pouring off of a person before. When he was brought to the police station, Chikatilo's briefcase, which he always carried with him, was searched. Inside, he had rope, a knife, and a jar of Vaseline. 
It was discovered that he had been accused of stealing a car battery from his previous employer, which allowed the task force to hold him for longer than 72 hours. He denied having anything to do with the murders, and his blood type was checked. The results came back, showing Chikatilo was blood type A. He somehow was part of the 20% of all Caucasian people who were non-secretors, meaning that he really was AB blood type, but the B antigen was only secreted in his semen, hair, and saliva, not his blood. Police didn't think to test anything but his blood, as non-secretors weren't discovered until 1988 and wouldn't be taken seriously for even longer than that. And let's be honest, we still don't take them seriously. They assumed that because his blood type was A, so was his semen and saliva. He was dropped as a murder suspect, but convicted of the petty theft charge and sentenced to a year in a labor camp. After only three months, he was released in December 1984. On good behavior, good labor. don't... Petty theft is not a reason to hold someone for a year. That's true. With all the rapes and murders that seem to be going on and everyone confessing to killing children, you got to get other people that are just in there for petty theft out, right? Well, at least for three months, there were no murders. Yeah. In January 1985, Chikatilo moved to a city I can't pronounce between Rostov and Shakti and began a job at a locomotive factory. He was a notoriously poor employee unless it came to the times he was traveling for his work. By this point, Chikatilo hadn't committed a murder since September 1984, a week before his arrest. He was still weary after being sentenced to jail and interrogated for the murders, but felt confident he wouldn't be caught. He waited until August 1st while on a work trip to kill again. On August 27th, he murdered another young girl, then completely stopped killing until 1987. What What do you think he did for the whole, like, year and a half that he didn't do any murders? I think he was a decent father to his children for once in their lives i think at some point didn't one of his kids have uh kids of their own i think so he said he claimed that he stopped killing because he had his 50th birthday and his co-workers were nice to him and it made him feel good and he didn't have to kill anyone because he felt good because they celebrated his birthday can you imagine wholesome him? He was following the investigation closely in the papers, and at this point knew that the police had undercover officers posted in every train and bus station that he picked up victims in. That's why you gotta keep this shit out of the media. If you recall back to part one, at one point Chikatilo found a job working as a police informant in his free time. Well, he was literally one of the people assigned to watching the train stations for any suspicious activity. They unknowingly asked their killer to watch train stations himself and he still wasn't very good at it yeah he was a horrible employee like just in general he's like uh yeah everybody down here has normal functioning penises sir <laughs> i'm looking out for other creepy i mean creepy people <laughs> he controlled himself until may of 1987 when he began killing again after work trips sent him out of the rostov and shakti areas where he knew police were looking for him he killed a young boy in ukraine on july 29th and a 16-year-old in Leningrad on September 15th. Police had figured that their killer had moved outside of the Rostov area and was still killing, so they sent out bulletins in 1985 to other departments describing his signature MO and asking them to report any victims who were found with 20-plus stab wounds, their eyes removed or stabbed, or missing nipples or their uterus. Doesn't it seem strange that they actually had to ask? Like, Well, I it was like, don't try to investigate and solve this murder yourself. Let us know because we have a whole task force and like 20 other murders so far that are the same thing. Oh, okay. I just, that seems like it should make news anywhere, right? 20 stabbings, missing eyes. 
It was basically, I mean, police departments don't really talk back and forth. Like, you don't have a crime here, and we, like, call it Phoenix, and we're like, hey, someone just stole a car. Like, you have to share information. Well, I mean, stealing a car is a lot different than slicing off someone's nipples and stuffing their eyes full of mud. No other police stations reported any victims matching the description. Chicatillo killed three victims in April, May, and July of 1988, then stopped again until May 1989. His last victim in 1988 was killed close to his home, in the area where police were still heavily searching for him. Feeling ballsy? Not caring? I don't think he cared anymore. At a certain point when you've gotten away with, I mean, at this point, what, 50-something murders maybe, or... 40-something murders, he's up there in the murder category, right? And he's just at this point, he's like, well, shit, they still can't seem to catch me. I keep getting away with it. Chikatilo picked back up on March 1st, 1989, when he killed a 16-year-old girl. For some reason, this murder was different. Rather than taking her to a wooded area, they went back to the girl's home. After killing her, Chikatilo cut off her legs and head, wrapping them in clothing before disposing of her body. Because this was something he'd never done before, the murder was not linked to him until after his arrest. He killed five more victims in 1989. 1990 would be the last year of freedom in Chikatilo's life. Incidentally, also the year that I came into this world. I'll take a little bit of credit for that, thank you. Almost as if he knew this, he ramped back up, killing a total of nine victims between January and November. At this point, he'd begun to prefer young boys, and seven of his nine victims were male. Police ramped up their investigation, this time placing a large, uniformed police presence at larger train stations to discourage the killer from finding victims there. When he was forced to go to a smaller bus or train station, undercover officers would be there waiting for him. Police were able to get a description of their killer when they spoke to a ticket attendant at the station who had sold Chikatilo's ninth victim his ticket. Now they knew exactly what kind of man they were looking for. A real piece of shit, but they knew that the whole time, right? I assume so. Fuck this guy. On November 6, 1990, Chikatilo killed his last victim, a 22-year-old woman. He was still feeling confident, so he chose one of his favorite areas near a train station he frequented. As he walked out of the woods, a police sergeant was standing near the platform watching him. He at first assumed that the man was out picking mushrooms, but noticed he was carrying a soft bag that was not typical for carrying them in. You don't carry mushrooms in a soft bag? I guess they get moldy. Yeah, brown paper sack or cardboard box. As Chikatilo got closer, the sergeant noticed that he had a small amount of blood on his ear and cheek, and his finger was bandaged. When questioned, Chikatilo explained that he was going to Rostov to visit a friend and had just taken a walk for fresh air while he waited for his train. With nothing to really arrest him for, Chikatilo was let go. That was right after he had killed that lady? Mm Mm-hmm. A week later, a general went out to visit the murder site of Chikatilo's last victim. While there, he learned about the sergeant stopping Chikatilo but letting him go. Officers explained that he'd been checked out already and his blood type didn't match, but the general was aware now that research into non-secretors and that blood samples weren't enough to acquit someone. They began looking into Chikatilo's whereabouts during other murders and discovered that he was in the same area on work trips as victims were discovered. They decided that they would begin to follow Chikatilo, waiting to catch him in the act. They hoped they could follow him and a victim all the way into the woods before arresting him so they had substantial evidence he was their killer, which is once again very sketchy police work. Yeah, it's just using a person as bait. No big deal. Just a little bait. 
Yeah. Unsuspecting bait person. On November 20th, Chikatilo went into town to get beer. He noticed two young boys and attempted to talk to them, but was stopped when they were called away by their mothers. Police witnessed the whole thing and knew it was now or never. Five undercover officers approached and surrounded him, placing him in handcuffs and informing him he was under arrest. I fully understand the reason to, you know, take him out. But of all the all the murders that he did, and they couldn't just catch him doing one when they were surveilling him, just to fucking have him dead to rights. Like, they really... I don't think they really needed that. They wanted it. They wanted the knife in the air. They wanted him... They wanted to intercept him. I think more they just wanted to not have any murders. At the station, his briefcase was once again searched and held the same contents as before. Rope, a knife, and Vaseline. When his apartment was searched, 23 different knives were found. At first, Chikatilo refused to confess. After a week in jail, he wrote to the prosecutor general, saying, quote, My inconsistent behavior should not be misconstrued as an attempt to avoid responsibility for any acts I have committed. One could argue that even after my arrest, I was not fully aware of their dangerous and serious nature. My case is peculiar to me. It is not fear of responsibility that makes me act this way, but my inner psychic and nervous tension. I am prepared to give testimony about the crimes, but please do not torment me with their details, for my psyche would not be able to bear it. It never even entered my mind to conceal anything from the investigation. Everything which I have done makes me shudder. I only feel gratitude toward the investigating bodies for having captured me. End quote. So he admits it, but doesn't want to know the details of... Because it would make him feel sad. Well, poor baby. He wanted to look insane. I don't think, you know, obviously with their outlook on things, I don't think he really had to do much to convince them of that, right? Two days later, the psychiatrist that had written the profile of Chikatilo was invited to speak to him. After two hours of reading from his profile, Chikatilo burst into tears and was ready to give a full confession. Over the next six days, Chikatilo gave full, detailed confessions of 34 murders. By the time he was finished, he had confessed to 52 murders. He was able to tell investigators where he'd picked up each victim, where he killed them, and even which of his 24 knives he had used. He knew which knife he had used for each one? Yeah. Probably had his favorites. In the spring of 1991, Chikatilo confessed to a 53rd murder that he'd suddenly remembered. Investigators were unsure of the legitimacy of the confession, though, as Chikatilo had difficulty remembering the exact details, which was odd for him. Nevertheless, he was charged with it. Fuck it, charge this guy with it anyways. After two months of psychological testing, it was determined Chikatilo was competent to stand trial. The trial began April 14, 1992, and it took the judge two days to just read the indictment. When he was finished, Chikatilo was given the opportunity to confess in front of the judge. Instead, he rambled almost incoherently for two hours, most likely in an attempt to malinger. Fucking malingerer. He complained that radiated rats were constantly running around his cell, would sing the socialist anthem, and multiple times pull down his pants, which he would continue to do over the course of his trial. When the judge tried to shut him up, Chikatilo would just talk over him. After a two-week break, court was reconvened on May 13th and opened with Chikatilo confessing to four more murders. On top of, <clears throat> on top of the 53 now that he had mm-hmm. confessed to? Once again, his memory failed him, and he could not recite any specific details, so he was not charged with them. 
At one point, Chikatilo's behavior became so odd that his defense lawyer asked that he go through another round of competency testing. To everyone's surprise, the prosecutor even agreed. <laughs> At this point, he was like, yeah, he's got to be... We could, we could probably switch over to insanity. That's got to be what they were thinking, right? Yeah, they, well, they just didn't want... You don't want to try someone that's not aware they're being tried. Right, right. So his... Pro, or, you don't want... Oh, the prosecutor agreed. You right. don't want to find him insane because that would be a whole different route. You still want him to die because you know he did it, but... I got you. You need the actual proceedings to be legitimate. This led to a whole shit show, the prosecutor quitting, the crowd of family members trying to literally get into Chikatilo's locked cell and kill him, and no new prosecutor being hired. The judge was ready to be done with the debacle, so they reconvened court and continued the trial without a prosecutor. Seems like he should have just let the family at him if he was ready to be done with the debacle. Chikatilo continued pulling his pants down and at one point shouted, Look at this useless thing, what do you think I can do with that? On October 15th, Chikatilo was found guilty of 52 murders and sentenced to death. He appealed his sentence to the Supreme Court, and when that was denied, petitioned for clemency from Russia's president, which was also denied. On February 14th, 1994, Andrei Chikatilo was executed by a single shot behind his right ear. <laughs> Not from St. Valentine, either. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Oh, wait, that's Cupid that does the shooting, huh? Yeah, but I've seen some people say that he's got 56 victims and some say 53, but he was officially convicted of 52. Is that going to do it for this week, Katie? Yeah, that's that's all. All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, on Twitter at fourcornerscast, and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. And give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Don't forget to check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can get a full episode list, or you can send us any ideas for episodes you guys might like to hear, or you can get a free sticker from our merch store just by typing in the code BINGOBANGO at checkout, and we will send you out that sweet vinyl sticker to slap on whatever you like. This uh, Don't follow anyone into the woods this week. Murray, you're taking over next week. Yes, I am. Katie you don't gets want to a do break. more about 52 child murders? No, I'm good on my nightmares. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. Look at this useless thing. What, do you think I could do with that? <laughs> <laughs>